This morning, we're continuing our series, Conversations with the Happy Heathen. And I want to pick up on the conversation where we left off last week. So each week, we kind of lay out the conversation for the next week, and that's where I want to pick up this week. Now, before I begin, let me say that Anne-Marie's question lends itself more to a, a teaching style more than it does a preaching style, similar to what we did last week. So um, as, I, as I interact in this sermon, some of the times I'll be talking, uh, in a sense, directly to Anne-Marie because she's asking the question and we're going back and forth. So again, it lends itself to more of a teaching style than a preaching style, and in some cases, I'm responding directly to Anne. Last week, Anne-Marie asked this very challenging question. What about the atrocities of the church, the Salem witch hunts, the crusades? Europe is littered with the graves of those who died century upon century at the hands of popes, bishops, queens, and kings, all of whom sang the praises of Jesus Christ, their Savior. Here's my response. And let me begin by saying the question is legitimate and deserves a really good answer. Church history is filled with terrible atrocities, not only in early Europe, and, and no one would really argue that. But, by, but many atheists claim that, uh, that this disproves the existence of God, which I find to be an invalid argument. It's true that there are many examples of evil committed in the name of Christianity. In the past, those who disagreed with church doctrine, such as Galileo, were persecuted or killed. But a little side note here. Let me say there's a difference between church doctrine and biblical truth. Okay? You need to understand that as Christians, there's a difference between church doctrine and biblical truth. The church, for example, the Bible, for example, never said that the world is flat. Okay? You don't find that in the Bible. You'll find that sometimes in church doctrine, but you won't find that in the Bible. In addition, the Crusades resulted in holy wars between Christians, Muslims, and Jews. In modern times, wars have, have been fought between Protestants and Catholics in Northern Ireland. However, if you look below the surface, and here is my argument, we see the common thread in all these violent acts as really the pursuit of power, people who struggle for power, people, individuals who want power. I would submit that these people are using religion, using religion for their own selfish ends, for their own selfish agenda. Now, the answer for all of this, the answer is there, to this behavior is explained in Romans 3.23. Now, if you would, I'd like you to do the same thing we did last week. Get the pen in front of you, take out your family news bulletin or your Bible, whatever, underline these things. But I'd like you to write these scriptures down because you will be asked this question at one time or another. What about the atrocities in the church? What about the Salem witch hunts and, and Europe, all, the, all the trouble in Europe and all, you know, you go down the list. What about these things? If there's a God and if you Christians say, then why is this and this and this? So I want you to write these down. The answer for this behavior, for their behavior, is explained in Romans chapter 3, verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The bottom, the bottom line is, my friends, we have a sinful nature. We have a sinful nature. The problem is we can't overcome our sinful nature on our own. What we need to free ourselves from this sinful nature is a savior, and we find that in the person of Jesus Christ. Once a person gives their life to Christ, then specific changes begin to take place. Now, do people who believe become sinless? I did, but most people don't. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> 
I didn't write that to her. I didn't. <laughs> she would have liked it anyway. No, believing makes us more sensitive. It makes us more sensitive and aware of our sin. And true followers of Jesus Christ will repent when they find that they have caused uh, harm in someone else's life. If a follower of Jesus Christ, a true follower of Christ, finds that they have caused harm in someone else's life, they repent. Repentance means to be sorry for your sinful behavior, hate it and stop it. I taught that my, to my kids when they were very little. What is it to repent? Be sorry for sin, hate it and stop it. That is what it is. That's what it means to repent. Be sorry for our sinful behavior, hate it and stop it. A true believer tries with God's help to overcome their sinful patterns. Now, this is not to say that Christians are not capable of causing harm, still causing harm, but if they do it, if they sin, if they act this way, their sinful behavior is acting outside of a clear biblical worldview. When someone acts this way, they are acting outside of, understand this, this is important, when, when a believer or whoever does something like this, they are acting outside of a clear biblical worldview. Now, one other thought, and this is important for all of you to kind of get down, you know, jot little notes or something. So when this question comes up, this is important. This is extremely important. People will say, well, I know a lot of Christians, and I'll tell you what, this Christian and that Christian, and I'm sick of seeing that bumper sticker on people's cars, you know, we're, we're not perfect, we're just saved. And, uh, you know, don't, don't give that as an answer when people ask you a difficult question. Oh, we're not perfect, we're just saved. That aggravates non-believers, okay, just so you know. But here's a, here's a way to answer that question. Here's one way to lay this out. Christians, my friends, are on a spiritual journey, okay? We are on a spiritual journey. Some may be further along than others, but we're all on the spiritual journey. When you see a Christian, what you're seeing is one individual on a quest for maturity in Christ. Every single person in this room, okay, who, who professes Christ is on a spiritual journey, you're on a quest for maturity in Christ. Some of us are further along than others because some of you have come to Christ in the last six months. Others have been Christians for 50 years. We're in a different place. I wish it weren't the case, but that quest takes a lifetime. That quest takes a lifetime. Someone could walk through this door, and one of you could be uh, somewhat rude to that person. Maybe you don't have your social skills down yet. Maybe Christ doesn't really work in that area of your life yet. Another person they come up to, and that person is just open and loving and caring and compassionate. Even if they're annoyed by the other person, they still have a Christ-like spirit. Why? Because one person's been a Christian for 20 years. One person's been a Christian for years. And we're all on this spiritual maturity, this journey to spiritual maturity in Christ. So when you say, look at those Christians, who are you talking about? Sure, we're all Christians, okay? But some of us are more mature than others, and we're further along. Now, admittedly, because of that, because that journey takes a lifetime, admittedly, we often fall short, okay? We fall short, and when you do, you need to admit that, you need to repent, you need to ask for the person's forgiveness or God's for and, and God's forgiveness and move on. That's why someone like Paul says this, follow my example as I follow the example of Jesus Christ, I mean, Paul's amazing. I mean, imagine being able to say that. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. He is, he is confident in his spiritual maturity and, and more closely reflects the character of Christ. That's where he is in his life. His life 
more closely reflects the character of Jesus Christ than other baby Christians around him. And he says, you follow my example as I follow the example of Jesus Christ. Then you also have this issue. You have the issue of false believers, okay? So you have that first issue, but you also have the issue of false believers. Now get out your pens and write these things down. In John chapter 6 and verse 60, they were, t- they were counting the cost of following Jesus Christ. It's all, about, it's all wonderful to follow God and follow Jesus until it gets difficult. So in John chapter 6 and verse 60, it lays this out. What happens when people count the cost of following Jesus Christ? It says this, on hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is hard teaching. Who can accept it? And what'd they do? They ditched. It was all fun and games when he's healing people. Oh, look at that. He killed that blind guy. Look over here. He did this. He did that. This is cool. Let's follow him over here and see what he does in this next town. This is great. And then all of a sudden, Jesus gets up and starts talking to them. He starts scratching their heads a little bit going, this is hard teaching. Who can accept it? Let's go home. I'm not giving up. Give up what? Sell everything? What are you talking about? Wait a second. Time out. This is hard teaching. So they were called his disciples, but obviously they weren't Christians. They weren't, they weren't, they didn't, they weren't fo- true followers of Jesus Christ. They just followed along until things got difficult, and off they went. Jesus said to his disciples, you're not going to leave now, are you? And they said, who are we going to go? We follow you, true followers of Jesus Christ. There are a lot of people who call Jesus Lord Okay, A lot of people call Jesus Lord, but Jesus sees right through them. A lot of people say they're Christians, but Jesus sees right through them. It's amazing. You, know, the, the, you, can, you can grow up in church and learn all the lingo and, be, lingo and become a really good liar. I know, I'd upset them. He's like, <laughs> Right? I'm serious. That's, that's the truth. You can grow up in church, you learn all the church lingo, and you become a really good liar. You just kind of go along, you say what you have to say. And I think these, this next part, I think each one of us in this church should take this stuff to heart and look at your own life. The Bible says that, you know, it, the Bible says to test yourselves to see whether you're in Jesus Christ. Don't you know that he is in you unless, of course, you fail the test? I think it's healthy for us to look into our own hearts and see where we really stand spiritually. Because you can grow up in church and think, my mom's a Christian, my dad's a Christian, everyone around me is a Christian. But just because you grew up in church doesn't make you a Christian. I grew up in a barn doesn't make me a cow, right? Just because you grew up somewhere doesn't make you something. Okay, so Anne-Marie says, there are popes and bishops and kings and queens, all who sang the praises of Jesus. And she's right. They did, and they still do. The question is, does that make them a true follower of Jesus Christ? Just because everyone here sang the words up this morning, all these praise songs, just because everyone was singing the words doesn't make you a follower of Jesus Christ. Kings and queens and bishops and popes, I don't care who it is. You can be a pope. You don't, it doesn't mean you're a follower of Jesus Christ if you're not living out what Christ teaches us. In Matthew 7, 21 through 23, it makes it really clear. Write this down, Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, listen to, what, listen to this. Did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will, I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. I never knew you. Apart from me, you evildoers. Hey, we 
cast out demons, we did miracles, we prophesied in your name. And Jesus said, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Jesus knew who was and is taking his name and using it for evil. He knows. I'm not God. I don't know. You don't know. We can't tell. I mean, we have to have, you know, we, you know, to talk about judging others. You know, you don't have to judge anybody, but we should have a little bit of discernment, at least. Discernment on who we, who we choose to follow along with or take their advice or those kinds of things, even in the church. So Jesus knows who is and was using his name for evil purposes. Jesus Christ called his disciples to be humble and loving and compassionate and kind and honest. In Galatians, write this down. In Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That is what a follower of Jesus Christ, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It says, against these things, there is no law. Jesus set an example for us to follow. If you want to be a follower of Jesus Christ, then you are following Jesus Christ, right? People say, well, you know, I'm a Christian. I'm a cri-. What does that mean? I'm a Christian. It means you were born not Jewish or Muslim. For a lot of people, that's what it means in the world. Well, I'm not Jewish and I'm not Muslim, so therefore I'm a Christian. But the Bible clearly lays out that Jesus set the example for us to follow. Write this, this one down. In, John, in, 1 John, in 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 through 6, it makes it very clear. We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands, listen to this, is a liar. Clear as as you can get it, is a liar. And the truth, the truth of the gospel, the truth of God's word is not in him. But anyone who obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Now, we're not perfect, okay? Obviously, I already described that sinful nature. We're not perfect. But the Bible clearly lays out that that we who are believers need to try to the best of our ability to walk as Jesus did. I think that is crystal clear. I don't think it leaves any room for debate. Must walk as Jesus did. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, which means it's not true. You can claim one thing and God says, it doesn't matter what you claim, you're a liar because you're not walking as Jesus did. Now, not all professing Christians are Jesus' disciples, and that's the problem. Not all people who say, I'm a Christian, and I'm not just talking about in our church, obviously, or in America. I'm talking around the world. Not everyone who claims to be a Christian is a disciple of Jesus Christ. Part of the sin nature of human beings is to use good to cause evil, to use good to commit evil. Church history has been stained with blood, but that shame rests squarely on the shoulders of the people who committed that crime, those crimes or those atrocities, not on Jesus. There is blood on the hands of the church throughout history. But the only blood that's on Jesus' hands is the the blood where they crucified him. That's only blood on the hands of Jesus. The blood is on the hands of those evil people or those people who caused 
committed those atrocities. Now, there's another thing. There, there is also, there's also, uh, there are also those who've created a different, a different church history than the one that Anne Marie describes. There's a, there are people who've created a different history, a different church history than the one that she describes. These are men and women of character who have, who have given their lives to start universities and, and schools and hospitals. People who have sacrificed to take care of the needs of, of people who are suffering and have difficulty. People who have given their lives for the cause of others. And my friends, that, that is the vast majority of Christians throughout history. I just described to you the vast majority of those who are followers of Jesus Christ throughout history. People who have sacrificed their lives. Like I said last week, today, even this year, there'll be 171,000 followers of Jesus Christ who are martyred, who are killed because of their faith in Jesus Christ because they are standing up for what's right, because they're defending the weak, because they're giving their lives for the, uh, the cause of Christ. They will be killed this year. 171,000 of them on average are killed each year. When I was in Nigeria this, this, earlier this year, it was absolutely amazing. I saw the graves of Christians who literally gave their lives for the sake of Christ, for God's cause. I looked in that, that, that graveyard. I walked around with Brian Hitchcock and, and a couple others, and I didn't see one person in that grave, uh, graveyard over the age of 50. They died of all kinds of different diseases trying to, in, in, trying to impact the lives of people there in Africa. You know, are, are there those who have used the name of Christianity to do horrendous things, to gain power, to commit sexual sin, to, to kill the innocent, to lie, to cause pain? Absolutely yes. But I'm sure, because I know what the Bible teaches, that not one of those people were walking as Jesus did. I'm not saying they weren't all believers. I mean, weren't all non, they're all non-believers and not all followers of Jesus Christ. What I'm saying is not one of the people who caused that kind of suffering are walking as Jesus did. They are acting outside of a biblical, a clear biblical worldview. In your defense, you point out a clear difference between the real Christians who are nonviolent, who follow some of Jesus' teachings, and those who claim that they're Christians and fight and kill anyway. I get it. Who wouldn't want to disassociate themselves from bloodlust? Two things. First, for those who are outside of that distinction, a Christian is a Christian is a Christian. That may not be fair, but it's your problem to address. I can imagine how frustrating it must be to have your faith hijacked. But honey, you've got a big, fat, long history to dispel. You may be pushing a rock uphill. I would also take exception with your statement in an earlier conversation that those who follow Darwin's theory have killed millions in the 20th century. Darwin was a biologist, not a politician or a soldier. Hitler was more of a Christian than Mao Zedong was a Darwinist, for example. In my comp, Hitler wrote, Christ was the greatest early fighter in the battle against the world enemy, the Jews. The work that Christ started but could not finish, I, Adolf Hitler, will conclude. And do you honestly believe that Jesus' teaching advocated killing anyone in his name? The Hitler quote is perfect, perfectly irrational. Jesus was a Jew. 
And the Bible says that in Christ, his followers are Jews. So I guess we'd all have to just kill ourselves. It's irrational madness. Think about that. Jesus Christ was a Jew. Jesus Christ wasn't trying to kill all the Jews. And in Christ, we are all one. We are Jews as well. So we would then have to kill, kill ourselves following that logic. It's just illogical madness. I can't understand how you can continue to claim that Christians cause so much suffering in the world. All people have value from a Christian worldview. All people have value, not because I think so or say so, but because God says so. Every human has value, every single one. And understand this too for all of you as well. Killing people, the reason that killing people is so hideous, it's not just because you kill an individual. Killing people is a direct attack on the person of God. It is a direct attack on God himself. Jesus was not a politician or a soldier, nor did he ever call upon his followers to defend him, to even defend him. When you read the word of God, when Jesus was going through these things, he didn't even call on his followers to defend him when they were arresting him. He said, put it, put the knife away, fix the ear, you know. He didn't even call on his, his disciples to defend him. Any sinful act that is done by a Christian happens outside of a clear, distinct biblical worldview, regardless of who it is committing the crime. It happens outside of a clear biblical worldview. The point I'm trying to make is that those who consider themselves Christian, whether you do or not, have killed plenty, and in the name of God. Here again is my point. Darwin's beliefs have established a naturalistic worldview. I'm not saying that he advocated killing people. He didn't. But when you eliminate God from the equation, man alone determines value. When you leave value, when you leave right and wrong, uh, up to, open to opinion or open to feelings, you end up with specific consequences. Would Darwin like it? No. But it is an outcome of a worldview without God. I may be stuck with Christians acting outside of a Christian worldview, but consider the problem of people acting the same way within a naturalistic worldview. And given opportunity and time, people will cause suffering. The question is which worldview is true and offers the greatest hope. Where the naturalistic worldview is assumed, it admits an unknown starting point to life, for life, and therefore for morality as well. You may not like it or agree with it, but I think the rock you're push pushing is a lot bigger than mine. All right, back to, back to this point. Now, to back up my point here, oh, here's what I want to do. I want to look at the history of human atrocities. I did some research on the history of human atrocities, so we're going to look at that. This information was gathered by Rich Deem, and his main source was Professor Rudy Rummel. Okay? So if we look at the history of, of, of democide, Democide is defined as the number, the, the, num, the, the, uh, the murder of any person or people by a government, including genocide or politicide, which includes mass murder, but is not, is not including wars, people killed in wars. Prior to the 20th century, this is prior to the 20th century, we find that millions of people were killed by people groups who wanted to eradicate other people groups. 
Remember, that, remember, these numbers do not include those killed in wars. Put up the first chart. Hope you can all see that. For those of you who didn't bring your glasses, you're out of luck. But I'll just kind of, I'm not going to walk through the whole thing. What I want you to do is I want you to notice the number of religious democides. Go to the bottom. Of the 133,147,000, only 2,650,000 were religious democides. Okay? 2,650,000. What percentage of these were due to religious democide? It's less than 3% of the total. So of the total democide, 3% were caused by religious disputes, religions, you know, killing people for, for their own causes. Okay, put up the next chart. This is democide and atheists. You look down the chart, there were 169,202,000 democides. Of, of that, 107,000, 107,047,000 were killed by atheistic regimes. Okay? So you have 169,202,000 and 107,047,000 were killed by atheistic regimes. Now, Vox Day in the Irrational Atheist lists 22 atheistic regimes that committed 153,368,610 murders in the 20th century alone. Okay, so you got 20th century. Put up that chart. This one's a little more difficult to see. And uh, and the last chart that this the last chart that I showed you. Can you back up? Is there any way to back up to that last chart? The last chart, that is the 20th century. The first was a pre-20th century. This is the 20th century when it comes to atheist, atheists and the democide. And now this next chart is 20th century murders by atheists. So you go down that list and you see the different murders. What percentage of this democide was due to religious conflict? According to these statistics, it turns out that religious democides don't even make up the top 20 don't even make it to the top 20, although we can make the assumption that there were some in the lesser murders, just, you know, lesser murders category. It's amazing to me as I'm saying all this, okay, because I want to stop for a second. As I was reading these statistics and going through this, and you get these intellectual arguments, okay, here's religious domicides, and here's atheistic domicides and everything. And then you look at the numbers of people that were killed, and it's just staggering. You, th you throw these hundred million number this and that, 169 million people. Isn't that incredible? I mean, as, just as believers, we need to stop for a second and think of the, the horrendous um, behavior that people can inflict on other people. And I just don't want to throw these numbers out and just go through them like, oh, these people were murdered and these people were murdered and these people were killed and democide and, and genocide and politicide and all these. They're just words for human beings slaughtering other human beings. So I just want to make that clear. It kind of made me sick to my stomach when I started looking at the numbers and going down through all these different countries and all the people they murdered. Still, the total of religious killings were less than 2%. So if you go through this, my point is, of all the, of all the genocides, of all the democides, and including genocide, politicide, murders, all these things, religious, okay, democides make up 2%, 2% of the total. In fact, the top two killers were specifically atheistic states, states which had never existed before in human history. The top two. 
atheistic states never, never existed before in human history. And should I blame atheism for more than 50% of the atrocities committed during the 20th century? I could just say an atheist is an atheist is an atheist, and that's your problem to address. But I think that would be un an unfair, inflammatory statement. I believe that Darwin's theory just gave those who already had a sinful nature a better excuse for their murderous behavior. If one examines the nature of these re regimes they, they, that committed these atrocities, even the religious ones, the key factor is a lust for power. Okay, Let's put up that other graph. Put up the next graph here. I want you to look at this graph. You talk about the yellow is the totalitarian, okay? And the, and the green is authoritarian. Those two, take those two together, and then you have basically a democratic and then others. Uh, according to Professor R.J. Rummel, in the 1816 to 2005 periods, there were, listen to this, when it comes to like, people, when it comes to individuals, the, 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 if you have one person in power, big problem. A few people in power, still a big problem. The more people, the more you spread out and give less individuals power, the less problems you have. Listen to these statistics. In these periods, 1816 to 2005 periods, there were 205 war wars between non-democracies. 205 between non-democracies. 166 wars between non-democracies and democracies. And zero wars between democracies. I believe Lord Acton's warning that power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely is right on target. You give, you give totalitarian governments individuals, that kind of, obviously, total control, and you end up with slaughter. Ab power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And this is what I was trying to point out in my post concerning suffering and evil that we talked about a few weeks ago. Sinful, power-hungry, money-consumed people cause much, I'm not saying all, much of the suffering in the world today. You know, you can say, well, these religious folk, look at all the, the blood on the hands of the church, and we can look at the atheistic state, the Soviet USSR and China, and those are the two top killers of people, and they slaughtered all these people, and you can go through, and we can argue who slaughtered more people, 50% or 2% or 3% or 10%. But the reality is, people have a sinful nature. And given an opportunity... This is the kind of behavior that people will live out when, when one or a few people have that kind of power. Yes, Christians have committed atrocities against other religious and non-religious people. But as these facts show, atheists have committed far more atrocities than all religious groups combined. Combined. Even so, the key factor in these atrocities has been the lust for power the lust for power rather than religion, which, is the, which has resulted in these hundreds of millions of murders. Now, before I go on, these are the kinds of things you, you need to kind of lay down when you're, as you're taking these notes. And when people say to you, well, if there is a God, there is no God. If there was a God, look at the history of the church. You could say, well, let, if you go through, if you go through the, the mass murders, the democide, the genocide that you know, concludes genocide and politicide and mass murders by governments, you're basically looking at 2% were based on religious disputes and religions coming and killing other people. 
That's important. And you should also lay down the go through all these different arguments and try to help them understand. Don't don't fight, don't, you know, but try to help them understand because the point they're trying to make many times is if this is true, if this is true, if I can prove that religion is horrible and does all these horrible things, and I'm going to tell you something, you know what? We shouldn't defend do not defend Christianity or Christians who behave that way. Make it absolutely clear that is outside of a biblical worldview. That behavior is stepping outside of a biblical worldview. I, as Jeff Greer, if I walk down and find someone, Emily Kelly sitting in the front row, if I walk up to Emily Kelly and punch her right in the face because I see her napping here in the front row, okay, you're not napping, you're just teasing. But if I punch her right in the face, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. I punched her in the face. I am acting outside of a biblical worldview. The Bible never justifies me punching Emily Kelly in the face. It doesn't even justify me berating her from in the front row for whatever reason and, and hurting her feelings. So when Christians behave a certain way, here's, here's another thought. You know, we talk about all the murders and all the genocide and the, and the, and the politicide and all the, the mass murders and those kinds of things, when the reality is, my friends, that it's not just all those, all those things that cause suffering and evil in the world. Most of the suffering in our world isn't about dying. And I use this as an example this past Wednesday. You know what, you know what causes suffering in the world when you're online at Walmart? And the poor kid behind the counter gets nervous because someone just berated them in, I mean, a half hour before, and they can't come up with the right change. They pushed the wrong button, and you're standing online saying, can't we find someone to work who has half a brain? I mean, this person can't even push the right buttons. I got places to go. I got people to see. And the kid's standing behind the counter sweating bullets. They're all nervous and everything. They don't know what to do. And then you're just like, can I see a manager? Now, that is outside of a biblical worldview. You know what? That's causing that person to suffer. What would Jesus do in that situation? I think he would say, hey, I have some time. Take a deep breath, take a deep breath and relax. It's good. I'm not in a rush. Don't worry about it. Because that kid now goes home and thinks, how stupid am I? I can't do this. He already has a low self-esteem. We do things like that all the time. We cause suffering in the world because we're not acting within a biblical worldview. We need to start living out our faith in Jesus Christ. We need to start following the example of Jesus. We need to walk as Jesus did. Jesus confronted sin, but someone making a mistake or not being able to do something is not a sin. It's just, it's just not going along with your time schedule. We need to start thinking about, when we're talking about suffering in the world, it isn't just about people who are being killed. It's about people who aren't being treated appropriately. It's about loving people with all of our hearts. It's about, because at the end of the day, I listened to Ravi Zacharias this summer. I had a chance to go to New York and he was speaking. And I'll tell you, he brought up more than, more than three or four times the fact that Christians need to start living out their worldview. All the arguments in the world aren't worth anything unless you and I are living out our worldview because we will have more of an impact in people's lives by living out what Jesus taught than by telling people what he taught. It goes together. You need to share the gospel and you need to live the gospel. That is what impacts people's lives. Most people don't even know the history I just showed you of the church. They just see the, you know, the Catholic church did this, and this Baptist church did that, and this independent church did this, and that's what they see. 
And you need to be able to point these things out. But more than that, you need to be able to live your faith in a way that expels a lot of those, of those feelings or thoughts that people have. Let people know, you know what, I, if that happened to you in a church, I'm really sorry. That was not really, that person should not have treated you that way. That is outside of a biblical worldview. Jesus would not have appreciated or does not agree with that person's behavior. Admit it. But then you live your life in such a way that the person can see the example. Paul said, follow, how bold is that? Follow my example as I follow the example of Jesus Christ. The Bible says that people have a sin nature, as these statistics on this page support. But their lives can be transformed through the power of the Holy Spirit. They do have a sin nature, but you know what? God has, God has, God put Jesus Christ in place. God has a plan, and it is through the power of the Holy Spirit. Eradicating religion, as some atheists encourage, would do very little to stem the tide of violence in our world. Sinful people, hungry for power, will always find a way to inflict suffering on the innocent and unsuspecting. You could eliminate, I'm telling you, People try to blame religion for this and blame religion for that. You know, I was talking to Emmanuel Tapson one time, and he said, if, you, if everyone was the same color, prejudice would still be around. We look at each other's shoe size and say, oh, you size 12 people, you or, you know what I mean? Anybody under a size, right? I mean, think about it. It'd be hair color. It would be eye color. It would be, you know, how tall you are, how short you are, how whatever you are, shoe size. We would come up with, we have a sinful nature, and if we, barely, we looked almost the same, we'd find something in the way the person said this word or didn't say that word to come up with ways to separate ourselves and to be prejudiced against someone. We have a sinful nature. People who are bloodthirsty and want absolute power, have a lust for power, will figure out a way to cause harm and suffering and cause it to the innocent and the unsuspecting. But here's my, here's my position. If we, if you and I, if the world, if the world would live out a biblical worldview, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your mind and love your neighbor as yourself, this world would be transformed. This world would be transformed. It would be a different world in which we live. In another post, Anne-Marie wrote this. Your message, as nice as it sounds, is lost, lost, lost every time there is some jerk religious guy, no offense, who proclaims homosexuality to be sinful and uses the promises of heaven and hell to control people and their bank accounts. I love her. I do. Uh, that, that conversation is, a, it's, it's, again, something else she, she can bring up that's a good point to bring up. That conversation will, though, have to wait till next week. All right. I know, I know, I love it. I love it. But before you leave, before you leave, please remember your tithe. And uh, <laughs> come on, those you're paying attention. That was a good one. And I'm not kidding. Please remember your tithe. I'm not, I'm not worried about saying that. Tithe boxes are here and there. Okay, so on your way out, please remember your tithe. Let's pray. Oh, God, thank you so much for this great day you've given to us. Thank you so much that we can spend this time together and we can talk through these things. Because, God, this world needs answers, and you have those answers in your word. You've given us our minds, our ability to think, to be rational, to be logical, to be reasonable. And so we pray, dear God, that you would help each one of us to remember these things. And when people ask these questions, that we would be able to share, to share this truth with them 
in a loving and respectful way. We pray, dear God, that through all of this, you are glorified. Your son, Jesus Christ, is lifted up. In his name we pray. Amen. Have a great week.